Well, good morning again. Uh, uh, we have been working through the book of Hebrews for uh, a few weeks now, and we come this morning to uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. So uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. And uh, before we read that passage of Scripture, let's pray together. Our Father, we we come before you again. Uh, We pray that you would pour out your Spirit on us, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the message of your gospel. Father, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would soften our hearts, uh, that we would not have hard hearts, unwilling to listen, unwilling to hear, unwilling to receive, but that we would have soft hearts ready to receive what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, Father, pour out your Spirit on us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, our scripture passage is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. So Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Well, as uh, you all know, we are experiencing an unusual time in these days. I I don't say it's unique. It's certainly not unique in history. There have been many economic downturns, some worse than this. There have been many pandemics, uh, many worse than this. Uh, No, what we are going through is is not quite unique, uh, but it is unusual, right? I mean, I think all of us can admit this is weird, right? This is, this is weird. This is not what we're used to. Uh, and this is, we hope, a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And yet the real trial for most of us this morning is not a, a physical one. It's not a, a financial one. Our real trial, the, the testing that is going on in this moment, is will we live in fear? 
I don't say, will we live wisely? Uh, we, we better do that. We can live wisely, though, without being afraid. So will we live in fear? You see, trials often carry with them temptations. The book of Hebrews, in fact, was written to people who were suffering. But the book is, in part, a, a warning to those who suffer. Now, that seems weird. Normally, you warn sinners and you comfort sufferers. Uh, but again, there are unique temptations in times of suffering. The original readers of this letter were suffering for their faith. They were enduring hostility. They were resisting the sinful world around them. And their temptation, according to Hebrews 12, was to grow weary, to grow faint-hearted, to turn back, or as we saw in chapter 2, verse 1, to drift away. Hebrews 10.36 tells us that they had need of endurance. Now, it is in this context of, of suffering, uh, of trial, of the need of endurance, what our passage calls testing, that the writer brings up the church. Now, I need to say that I love the church. I love studying the scriptures and learning about the church. I love the doctrine of the church. I love seeing God's plan for the church. I, I love the progress of the church throughout redemptive history. I love you guys. I, I love my church. I, I love the people in the church. I love the gifts that God has given to the church. I love the church. And to be a member of the church is a position of privilege, right? This is Christ's church after all. The risen Christ himself is building his church and we get to be a part of what Christ is doing right here and right now. Our passage this morning, though, shows us both the limits and the blessings of the church in the context of suffering. And really, there could be no better and more challenging time to look at this passage as we think about the limits and the blessings of the church in the context of trial. Now, of course, the passage, as so many in the book of Hebrews, is phrased in terms of an exhortation. Hence, our, our outline this morning, that the title of the sermon is, Take Care. And then we have the reason to take care and the goal of taking care and the means of taking care. Take care. Take care lest you fall away in time of testing. Take care that you might share in Christ. And take care by exhorting one another every day. So first we have the reason to take care. A real danger, lest you fall away in time of testing. Now, uh, there, there may be some of you right now, uh, sitting in your living rooms, uh, participating in this live stream service, who think that because you are participating, uh, you are safe. That is, that, that participation in the church uh, makes you a good person, and therefore God accepts you. Uh, there are others who find comfort that you found the, quote, right church. Uh, while you might look down your noses on those other churches, right, you at least can be sure that God loves you because, well, look at your theology after all. Now, okay, I know uh, most of us wouldn't say things like this. I hope you wouldn't say things like this. Not out loud, right? Hopefully not even to ourselves. But it is easy to begin to find our security in the church itself. But then times of testing come. 
The church does not protect us from pain and God does not protect us from pain. And suddenly we begin to doubt whether we're on the right team or not. It's the parable of the soils, which some of you may know, right? The the seed and the shallow soil grew up quickly. It was all excited about team Christianity. But then times of testing came and it withered because it had no root. It is possible to find our security in the wrong places. And the moment our world is rocked, our faith begins to crumble. Trial and testing show us where our faith is set. And so we have this, mor- this uh, warning this morning in verses 7 to 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, here's what was going on uh, in Israel. God had, had brought his people out of Egypt. We see that in, uh, mentioned in verse 16. And the, the, the rebellious people of verse 8 are the people of God, the people God brought out of Egypt. They, they are the church, right? Church just means a gathered people. And in fact, Stephen, in his speech in Acts chapter 7, calls Israel the ecclesia in the wilderness or the church in the wilderness. And while the church was in the wilderness, they were experiencing testing. Moses said in Deuteronomy 8, remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now that testing in the wilderness included various trials, but as we are told here in Hebrews 3, when God tested Israel, rather than walking by faith, Israel in turn tested God's patience by their stubbornness. See, they heard his voice, they saw his work, but they hardened their hearts. That is, they refused to let what their ears heard and their eyes saw penetrate into their souls. They closed their eyes and stopped their ears and refused to know God's ways. What was the root of their problem? We are told that they hardened their hearts, verse 8. They went astray in their hearts, verse 10. And they were unable to enter, verse 19, because of unbelief. Their rebellion, their sin, their disobedience, right, was rooted in a heart of unbelief. They wanted what seemed best to them. They didn't want to trust God's plan. They didn't want to trust God to provide. They wanted wanted a comfortable ride with tasty food, and God wasn't delivering. They were in the wilderness, Well, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says, and we can safely expand on that. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the body acts. When Israel rebelled and sinned and disobeyed, it was the expression of a hard, unbelieving heart that rejected God's plan for their own in the midst of their trials. But as Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death, right? Their desire for an easy ride actually ended up getting them 40 years in the desert. And here is the writer of Hebrews warning to us this morning, do not be like them. And remember, this is a warning to the church, right? It was the church in the wilderness that rebelled. And the psalm was written, the psalm that the writer of Hebrews is quoting was written to the people of God in that day. And the writer of Hebrews is applying that psalm to the church in his day. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, 
And he goes on there in 1 Corinthians to say, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See, if you were an Israelite who had come out of Egypt, you might think you were standing firm. I mean, you were a part of the Israel of God. You saw his mighty works. You were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea, as Paul puts it. You received manna from heaven. How could you not be secure? If anyone was secure, it was you. But we must never trust in our circumstances or even our bare knowledge of God's works if our hearts are hard. And so you might be a member of the church. You might have heard of God's mighty works in the cross and in the resurrection. You might have seen God's grace active among God's people. But is your heart hard? Are you still insistent that life go as you plan? Are you unwilling to trust God's provision, especially in times of scarcity and want? You see, trials will bring it out, right? Trials like this one. Will we grumble? Will we blame? Will we grow bitter? Will we complain about our governing officials? Will we grow callous toward our neighbors in need? Jesus' words in Matthew 6 have never been more applicable. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than, than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so, especially today, right now, as you hear God's voice speaking in the Scriptures, do not harden your hearts. Pay careful attention to God's word right here, right now. Which means, in part, don't, don't trust in your membership in the church. Do not trust your mere knowledge of the gospel. Both of those things are essential, but they in themselves do not guarantee that you will stand firm. Now, if you are beginning to squirm in your seat, particularly if you are one who already struggles with assurance, let me say this. The point here is not to bring uncertainty. Uh, the point uh, of the writer of Hebrews is not to promote fear. The point is not to promote questioning in the Christian life. I want you to be confident in your standing before God, but I want your confidence to be properly placed. And so there is a real danger, right, as we have seen in Israel, that we would be among the right people, hearing and seeing the right things, but having a hard, unbelieving heart. You see, by the, the church by itself cannot keep you safe. And that's true because safety is found alone in Jesus. And so take care. Uh, why should you take care? What's the reason? Lest you fall away in time of testing. Well, what's the goal of taking care? The goal of taking care is our real security that you might share in Christ. 
Security is not found in the church itself, but neither is it found in you yourself. Security is found in Christ. And so we have uh, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. As the psalmist before him, Hebrews, applies Israel's story to his contemporary church. Take care, brothers, lest you have this same kind of evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. And of course, uh, we this morning, as we hear this word, it applies to us as well. Take care, brothers, lest you have the same kind of evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. Now, what is the opposite of such a heart? Well, verse 14 tells us, verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. See, instead of falling away from the living God, we share in Christ. Instead of falling away, we we are holding firm. Instead of an evil, unbelieving heart, we have our original confidence See, the opposite of an unbelieving heart is holding firm to our confidence. Now, uh, the the word confidence, I should say, the word confidence here could mean either the objective, solid ground, that on which our subjective confidence is based, or the subjective, confident assurance itself, right? So uh, if you're walking across a bridge, confident that you won't fall in the water, you could say that your confidence is the bridge, your confidence, right? You, you have this confidence and it's the bridge under your feet. Or you could say your confidence is in the bridge. Either way, our confidence is in Christ or our confidence is Christ. See, we must persevere in believing the gospel in knowing that our security is found in Jesus. Now, the danger for Israel and for us is that in times of trial, our hearts will grow hard. Uh, we grow bitter because life doesn't go our way. We, we get angry at other people because they don't fulfill our needs. We get jealous of others because they have what we don't. We grow fearful. We turn in on ourselves. We become consumed with our perceived needs. We don't entrust ourselves to God's protection and provision. We get stuck in our own heads. And fear and jealousy and anger and bitterness feed one another. And that's how hearts become hard and impenetrable. And so the writer says, take care, hold firm your original confidence. But you might wonder, well, how do I know if I will hold fast? I mean, how do I know I can hold on to Christ? I mean, if I've got to take care and hold fast and cling to Jesus, how do I know if my faith is enough? How do I know if my faith is strong enough? How do I know if my faith is big enough? How do I know that my faith will endure? It's such a subtle temptation. Sliding from faith in Christ to faith in my faith. Our original confidence is not about us. Christ is our confidence. How do I know if my faith is enough is always the wrong question. Here's what Jesus says. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. (coughs) 
our original confidence is not that we have hold of Christ, but that Christ has hold of us. And when we know that Christ has hold of us, we have come to share in Christ. And this is the most uh, maybe important and amazing phrase in this passage. We have come to share in Christ. What does it mean to share in Christ? Remember what the writer has said about Christ. Christ has been raised in glory and honor. And now he tells us that we share in that glory and honor as we place our confidence in him. That is, by faith, we receive Christ and all the benefits and blessings found in him. This is where real security is found, believing in the Son of God who became for us a little while lower than the angels who suffered as a sacrifice for our sins, but has now been crowned with glory and honor having been seated at the right hand of the Father. Christ has conquered sin and death and He presently enjoys resurrection, life, glory, and honor at the Father's right hand. We share in that by faith in Him. Through faith, like in marriage, right? What is his is mine. You see, I want you to be confident in your standing before God, but I want your confidence to be properly placed in Jesus. I love the church, but the church cannot save you. The church itself cannot keep you safe. Safety is found alone in Jesus. But that does not mean that the church is unnecessary. The church is necessary because the church points you to Jesus. And so take care, right? The reason to take care is there is a real danger. Take care lest you fall away in time of testing. The the goal of taking care is our real security that you might share in Christ. And the means of taking care is real community. Take care by exhorting one another every day. See, if it weren't for verse 13, you might think this entire process of taking care and holding firm is one that happened in the privacy of your own home. We might be especially tempted to think that this morning as we sit in the privacy of our own homes. You might think that you can persevere just fine on your own, that you can do the Christian life by yourself. But that is just not true. Hebrews tells us here uh, three things about community. It tells us the purpose of community, the frequency of community, and the goal of that community. First, the purpose is exhortation. Uh, To exhort is to encourage, right? It's to encourage someone, to, to, to encourage someone to take a course of action or to encourage someone in the sense of comfort. This word exhort is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians when it says, encourage one another and build one another up. See, this is what we are to be doing as a community, encouraging one another. Now, the truth is, if you are going to exhort and encourage and comfort someone well, you need to know them. How can I comfort you if I don't know what you're going through? Now, there are degrees uh, to be sure, right? There, There are general realities and principles which apply in every situation, right? Otherwise, preaching would not be possible, But true comfort and exhortation requires knowledge. I need to know your struggles, your temptations, your confusion, the decisions you have to make, the sufferings you undergo. And when I know that, when I know what is going on in your life, I'm in a place to comfort and encourage and exhort and admonish. 
Now, if we were all in the same room right now, I would say, look around you. How well do you know these people? And how well do they know you? The fact that we are not in the same room makes this even more important. We must know one another so that we can exhort one another. How do we do that, right? What do we have to do in order to get to know one another? Well, let me just give you a few suggestions. One is ask questions, right? Talk to one another and ask questions. If you want to get to know someone, you have to try to get to know them. And not all of us are, are good at this. Not all of us are good at asking questions, I know, which is just to say it takes effort. <laughs> it, it doesn't just happen, right? You have to be intentional about getting to know other people. Uh, most people, of course, love to talk about themselves. If you would only ask and then listen. <laughs> Second, if you want to get to know people, you have to let people get to know you. You have to get face-to-face with someone and share the ugliness in your heart. It, it's messy, but it's necessary. It doesn't mean you share your ugliness with everyone, but someone needs to know what's there so they can exhort and encourage and comfort you. And the more open you are, the more open others will be in response. Which makes me think of a third point, right? The the more comfortable you are in the grace of God, the more you know your forgiveness and are not living weighed down under guilt and shame, but living in the freedom of the forgiveness and cleansing of Christ, The more that is true of you, the more others will feel that freedom when they are with you. You see, if you are weighed down by the guilt of your sin, others will feel your guilt and shame and be afraid of sharing their own mess for fear of bringing that guilt and shame upon themselves. And so we need the freedom of the gospel so that we can enter more deeply into community with one another. So first then, the purpose of community is exhortation. Exhort one another which begins with getting to know one another, asking questions, being honest, and resting in grace. Second, we have the frequency of community every day. Now, there are are two things to be said about this every day. Uh, the, The first is, part of this simply means, as you come in contact with one another, make it a point to encourage one another. This means husbands with their wives and wives with their husbands, parents with their children and siblings with one another. Exhort, encourage, comfort one another every day. Uh, But second, it also means when possible, right? Go out of your way to encourage one another. Uh, Now, this was probably much easier in the first century, right? We, We have to acknowledge that our society is spread out, it's mobile, it's disconnected, and that's even more so true in this moment. But this challenge is not an excuse, Thankfully, we have many means of crossing those barriers. Right now, as I speak to you in your your home, we are crossing those barriers. Of course, face-to-face is always better, but when that fails, right, you you can write and mail letters of encouragement, even, even real letters, right, with paper and pen. You can send emails, you can send texts, you can send Facebook messages. And not just posts and tweets sent out to everyone and no one at the same time, but encourage specific people in specific ways. Again, this takes effort, effort to get to know people, effort to get together with people, effort to overcome the awkwardness of that initial stage of relationship building. But let me ask, is persevering in the Christian life more important than a little awkwardness? Yes. Yes, it is, right? So if if you find out that a brother or sister lives close to you, reach out to them. By the way, we need to overcome our, our culture's infatuation with uh, affinity groups, right? We, we somehow think that this only works if you are the same age or class or education. 
Nothing could be further from the truth, right? We, we need the variety of perspectives speaking into our minds and hearts. And so take the effort to spend time with one another, to get to know uh, one another, to encourage one another, and do that in as much as it depends on you every day. Now, you can't know and encourage everyone. But someone once wisely said, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Right? The purpose of community is exhortation. The frequency of community is every day, as long as it is called today, encourage someone. Encourage a brother or sister in Christ to persevere in the Christian life. Third, we have the goal of community, soft hearts. Again, verse 13, right there in the middle of the passage. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitful of, deep deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin is not just degenerate. Uh, sin is not just divisive. It's not just defiling. Sin is deceitful. Sin confuses us. I have, I have sat with men in the throes of temptation to adultery, and let me tell you, they could not tell what, what, what way was up and what was down. They were confused. They lacked clarity. They needed someone to speak truth into the confusion. See, sin lies to us. Sin makes promises of happiness and bliss. Sin tells us we are the center of our universe. Sin tells us we deserve what we want. Sin tells us no one loves us, we're on our own, and we must take matters into our own hands. Sin tells us this world has what you need, if only you'll reach out your hand and take it. And those lies harden us to the voice of God, which in every case says the exact opposite. Who is speaking truth into your life? Who is counteracting the lies of sin? Into whose life are you speaking truth? Who are you encouraging and exhorting and comforting and admonishing? You can apply this really immediately by asking this question, who do you know who needs to hear the message of this passage? Now, you always need to apply Scripture to yourself first, right? That's always important. Uh, it's always dangerous to sit in a sermon and think, hmm, who needs to hear this? But in this case, applying it to yourself can mean encouraging others with the same passage. And so who can you share this with? Whether one point that struck you or the whole sermon. Do you have a friend or a neighbor, Christian or non, who needs to hear something from this sermon? Share it with them. Encourage them. You see, the church on its own cannot keep you safe. Safety is found alone in Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we don't need the church. The church is necessary because the church can point you to Jesus. And may we be such a church that does whatever we must to exhort one another and others every day as long as it is called today that we might hold fast our confidence in the face of our trials. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the confidence that we have in Jesus. We thank you that he is our confidence that he who, who died for sin has risen from the dead is at your right hand and we can look to him and know that where he is, there we also will be as we trust in him. Help us, Father, to trust in him. Help us not to, not to get caught up in wondering whether our faith is enough. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus and know that our Savior is enough and that he is able to keep us until the last day through this trial and any other trials that come. He is able to watch over us and keep us and protect us. 
and see us to that last day that, that though we die, we know yet we, we will live with him. Help us to know that and rest in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.